Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. As always, thank you for joining me every week, whenever or wherever you're listening to this podcast. I'm grateful for your support, and I appreciate you so much. If you have not officially joined the Immigrant Nation, I suggest for you to please click the subscribe button wherever you are listening to this podcast. Another way to be part of this community is by visiting and following our social media accounts. Our handle is at animmigrantslife. There you can see pictures, audio reels, and other things that I consider cool. Sometimes I post myself or videos of me doing cool stuff because I'm a cool dude. (laughs) Anyways, it is also there where you can contact me if you or someone you know is interested in appearing as a guest on the podcast. Or you can send an email to at animmigrantslife at yahoo.com. So let's connect and let's tell your beautiful story. All the reminders are done. Now, let's talk about this week's episode. In this episode, join us on an incredible adventure as we explore the joys, struggles, and triumphs of living life to the fullest in Edmonton, Alberta, through the eyes and experiences of our amazing guest, who fearlessly dives into new adventures and fully embraces everything Edmonton has to offer, which she captures and documents on her Instagram account. I think I've said enough, eh? So, without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a marketing expert that Moonlight as a social plug for immigrants. Everyone, please welcome Lola Oduwole. Hello, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you for coming on and accepting my invitation. Why don't you tell the Immigrant Nation where they can reach you before we start to get into your uh, story? The best place to reach me would be on Instagram, and that's Afro Edmontonian. Mm. That's my username on Instagram. We can connect that way. They can also send me an email at lola, L-O-L-A, at afroedmontonian.ca. Beautiful. Is that your real name? Lola is my real name, yes. Really? You know what Lola means in Tagalog? Mother? Grandma. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was close. <laughs> that's, that's what it means. Uh, mother is nanay. In my dialect, Tagalog, obviously we have like 100 dialects. What what the dialect do you speak? I speak Yoruba language from Nigeria. Mm, that's beautiful, man. I love, I love listening to to uh, African uh, dialect. It's just, it's so, I don't know, like it's so pure. You know, like it's like this is how people speak probably like a million years ago. You know, we do have multiple dialects, but three are very common or popular, if I can put it that way. So mine is one of those three that are pretty popular in Nigeria. Mm. Which part of Nigeria were you from? Well, I lived in Lagos, not necessarily because I'm from Lagos. I'm from Ogun State, but I lived in Lagos. My parents grew up in Lagos as well. I did my schooling, uh, some part of Lagos as well. And yeah, Lagos is just everybody's dream city. <laughs> Everyone wants to be in Lagos. So Yeah, because it's a cool place, I guess. It is a cool place but also a busy place. It's important to stress that. (laughs) What do you mean by busy? Well, I'm not sure how much you heard about Lagos, but it's like the bustling, hustling city for everyone. Many people want to live there to run their businesses. They want to work in multinationals. And they come to Lagos to make a living. So, for instance, the dream of a lot of people is once I get to Lagos, I can make it. And once you make it in Lagos, you can make it anywhere in the world. Literally. So, it's sort of like, yes, literally. It's sort of like a training ground to prepare you for the world. And so, Lagos, Lagos never sleeps. That's you what know? I heard. Never sleeps. It's I used busy. To, I, 
Yeah, I had a guest that uh, Femi also, and he's from Lagos as well. And he said that's what he exactly said. What you just said, <laughs> like hustle, hustle. Because, yes, that's the truth. Yeah. When did you move to Lagos? How old were you? I was born in Lagos, actually. Oh, okay. So your mom and dad from a different part. Yes, I don't even know when they moved to Lagos, but I just found myself born in Lagos, and I grew up in Lagos. Do you ever visit uh, your mom and dad's province? When we were much younger, we used to visit because we had these annual traditions. My parents come from large communities, so we'd always travel uh, once a year to just have good times with family members. And we did that till maybe after my high school and then stopped because then I had other things <laughs> just <laughs> in for my own interest. So I had to face other things and I didn't have the time. Well, I couldn't make the time to go back to their hometowns any mm -hmm. longer. Were you focusing in school? Over full costs. I was one of those students. <laughs> Why? Tell us, tell us. Okay. Um... With Nigerian families, I'm the first, if I, let me start with that. And so with being the first, you have a lot of responsibilities on your shoulders. So show the right path to everyone behind you, like my younger sisters. I needed to be able to show them that I was diligent in my studies and everything that I was doing. So mm -hmm. I had that responsibility to be studious, uh, to get the high grades, to be the model students to be the model child and just generally responsible child. So a lot of the onus was on me to do well in school. And well, I can say I did pretty good and didn't disappoint them in any way. Yeah. So growing up with that intense pressure, did you welcome that or did you wish somehow that less pressure would be better? For the kind of person that I am, I would say I welcomed that because I had nothing else to do. I generally am a quiet person, very conservative, very reserved as well. And so I preferred to bury my head, or bury my head rather, bury my head in my books, just study. And so it was just a good opportunity. It, wasn't, it didn't feel as though they were forcing me to do what I was doing. I enjoyed it. And so the pressure, I didn't think it was any pressure in any way. Uh, okay. So in Filipino culture, the eldest, they put extra pressure on them because, like you said, like they have to be the trailblazer to show like, hey, this is how we get out of this, uh, this place or this uh, social status. And once they get to a certain job and start making money, they start helping out family. Is that the same thing in Nigeria as well? Absolutely correct. That's the same thing. And I can tell you that even for a lot of the first bonds that have moved outside of the country, they still send money back home, you know, the black tax thing. <laughs> they still send some money to the help highest out. tax. <laughs> We do pay the highest, I know. <laughs> And by the time I got to by the time I finished university, I still had my youngest sister wanting to enter university. At that point, I started work. It was, they didn't have to tell me verbally that, hey, sis, it's now your responsibility to take over your sister's education. Because my parents, my dad was retired. And my mom had been like a full housewife from time. I mean, she had a small store where she was selling some little items. And then it fell on me naturally. Uh. And I took it up gently got my sisters through university as well. She better not forget. Oh, she better <laughs> not forget that. You know what I'm saying? Like every time you have an opportunity, you know? <laughs> I know, I know. You're saying that focus and pressure on the firstborn. Is that, are there more pressure on daughters or for the sons? That's a very good question that I may not even be able to answer because personally, we're all girls. Mm. And I can't say for sure, but I won't believe the pressure may be more on the male child. And these are trying to guess from friends that had firstborn male. 
the pressure may be more on them uh, because they also have to shoulder the extended family's responsibilities as well. In Nigeria, they would probably see the male child as the king, the head of the house. And so once they are responsible for their siblings, they also expect them to be responsible for extended family members, maybe from maternal side or paternal side as well. Holy because crap. they believe, yes, because they believe that they have the, 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 the they have like the capacity to handle all of this. You know, for female children, uh, even though I know we are trying to push everyone to be on that equal level, they still think, okay, for a female child, may not be able to, to do as much as a male child. So the pressure, I guess, so a little, to a certain degree, may not be as much as the one on the male child, but there is pressure regardless. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm bad. I have a lot of Nigerian friends and they're like, bro, <laughs> oh, I know, dude, I got you. So some cultures, women are expected to marry at a certain point. Was there a pressure on you to get married like as soon as you finish? That's one thing that I would say I'm thankful for my parents. I'm thankful. No, I, there was no pressure on me. And uh. being someone very independent as well, I, I wasn't thinking of marriage and they didn't even try to broach it with me. They knew I was responsible for the family. They knew I wanted to continue my studies. So after university, I was going to pursue a master's and didn't have time to think of marriage. Mm. They just respected my my decision wow. to wait. Props to mom and dad. <laughs> what did you study, by the way? My first degree, that's 30. My first degree was in plant sciences. Plant sciences? Yes. Okay. Is that weird? I don't know. It's like, you know, Nigerians usually is like, you have to be an engineer, a lawyer, a doctor, you know? <laughs> That's very true. And I can tell you that story. So, of course, I was in science class uh, as their expectation, and they wanted me to be a medical doctor. I also wanted to be a medical doctor, but somehow my results were not cooperating. There is this exam that we would have to write at after secondary school, before you can get admission into university. They call it JAM. And so you needed to get a certain score to be able to get into medical school. But I never mm -hmm. reached that. I'm telling you, I wrote JAM four times. For real. I wrote it four times. And even after the fourth time, I still could not get the grade to get me into medical school. So I settled for the next best option with the hopes that I would cross maybe in 200 level, I could switch to medical school. And that was how I started the journey into plant sciences. And I did get to switch into a 200 level, but life happened. I just went back to plant sciences and eh, you finished, finished it. Degree. Yes. Plant sciences, what were you learning? What were you studying? Taxonomy, names of plants, different things. Mm. Generally about plants. A bit of horticulture as well. Mom and dad was okay with that? Well, they didn't know the details of what I was <laughs> studying in school. <laughs> I mean sciences, that's good enough. It's good enough, and if I was gonna be done in four years, it was even better for them because if you had gone if I had gone to medical school, I would have spent some seven odd years in school. And so the faster, the better, so I can start bringing in money. Mm -hmm. So that study, you were able to transfer it to a career or a job? I honestly was not. Hmm. When I finished university, my first job was a marketing role. And I found that I enjoyed it so much. I realized that I loved it and started to think of better ways to improve on my skills and just build that knowledge. And that was how I got into doing my master's in marketing. So I went for my MBA in Lagos Business School and completed that. And so I've been I've been in the marketing space since then. Mm. You seem to be doing well in Nigeria, and then out of a sudden you decided to move to Canada. What kind of spirit did come over you to move? 
A very interesting question. Without diving deep into the incidents that eventually forced or influenced that decision to move to Canada, I would say that my family and I, because I came with my husband, mm. I would say we just wanted to go somewhere that could give us that opportunity to have options to sort of explore our careers and then the world generally. And Canada seemed like that place, you know, Canada could afford us that opportunity. And personally, it's not my husband as well. We work in companies that have branches, well, not globally, but outside of Canada as well. So at any point, we can make that decision to transfer to a different country uh, because we've started to build that uh, platform to just leverage that we can go anywhere that we want. So that's the major reason that we wanted to come to Canada. It gives that opportunity to just build up your career and life. So anywhere. Mm, so why Edmonton then? I chose Edmonton for selfish reasons. Uh, my best friend lives here. Ah, okay. We, we've mm. been friends uh, since university days. And so we've known each other for over over 15 years, and I felt it was going to be a great way to integrate. Coming here, having someone, not just someone you know, but someone you've dined and wined and connected with, it felt like a very good reason to come to Edmonton. And so we found ourselves in Edmonton. We stayed with her and, with her and her family for a couple of, for a, couple, for a month, about a month, before we found a place of our own. And it was just a good way to integrate into the community, you know. Yeah. Not that it matters, but what did the husband say? I never asked, but I'm sure. <laughs> no, Poor but really, it was fine. It was fine. It was of course, I mean, it's going to be fine. But if you really ask him, is it really fine? No, it was fine. They're good people. Was it, it winter was... when you moved? We moved in October. and Oh, dude. They... We, we we had we experienced our first snow in the week that we landed. Okay. It was both exciting and shocking as well because it was pretty cold. Even the day we landed, we were coming from you know how Nigeria is temperate, warm region, and then coming into the cold. Of course, that's one culture shock for us. Hmm. We got here and it didn't seem as though it was raining or anything, but we could still feel the biting wind. It was mm. cold, like it was really biting into us. It's the wind that kills you. Yes. I agree now, now that I know better. Um, of course, you, you start living here, you know, was there an obvious difference culturally between Nigeria and Canada that you noticed, like, instantly? Instantly would be the experience getting on buses. Because even though I had my friend help us move around for the first couple of days, we had to start trying to get to places on our own. Mm -hmm. And then I would get on the bus, I would hear people say, thank you to the driver. And okay, like, okay, this is new. I mean, it's not something that we'll do back home. There was huh. respect for everyone, but you probably get on the bus and you don't even care who's sitting next <laughs> to you, or you don't even know, care about who the driver was. You just got off whatever you were stopping mm. and then i would hear people say thank you thank you okay i mean it felt new mm. and was something that we also had to adapt to so yeah i i agree with that because i remember when we're new here and you know i was raised as a gentleman when women comes in comes on the bus we always get up like the men will get up give the seat right and it doesn't matter if it's an old lady a pregnant lady or a young lady Mm -hmm. We always offer the seat, and I've start noticing the the young ladies give me this look, like mm -hmm. I'm trying to hit on them or something. But for me, it's like no, I'm just giving you know a woman whatever you know. And then I finally realized, oh, they think we're hitting on them, but we're not. Yes. We're just yes, you know that's what we're raised, you know. So, but yeah, that's the that's the first thing. I read that you moved here as a skilled immigrant with a master's degree that's and all this stuff. Was it That's easy true. for you to find a job in Canada that aligned with your level of achievement back home? Honest truth, no, it was not. 
I maybe like fifty percent of immigrants or even more immigrants will tell you the first job uh, I got was a survival job, and that was after realizing that we were going to deplete the money that we came with quick. <laughs> and so it just gave us a sense of urgency to find mm. something to do that could bring in money. Yeah. My first job uh, was a customer service role, and uh, I did that for a bit. And before I could learn something that it's that is in my field, it took a couple of it took a few years because I also had to go out of the workforce to have my baby. And then I was on a maternity leave for a year. Yeah. During that period, I did upskill. Not like I went back to school. I didn't want to spend a lot of money, even if it was going to be in the forms of grants or loans. I just didn't want to push myself to have so much debt uh-huh. hanging on my neck, you know. And so I I took some free courses. I paid for the ones that I could afford and upskilled. And by the end of my maternity leave, I got something better. Mm. One of the things that I also did that worked for me was networking. I'm sure a number of people say that. It's it's not cliche. We cannot overemphasize it. It's the opportunity to meet people that are in your field. And so I joined associations that were helpful for me as well. I met people outside of the immigrant community. And this was how I landed my job in marketing. It was just a matter of talking to someone. This is what I am interested in. And I tell you, it was months down the line, like I'm talking seven months down the line, that this person just reached out to me out of the blues and say, are you still interested in marketing? Of course, I jumped at it. But I'm just trying to say that that connection had been built uh, just because I had this association that was in. I told people, I expressed myself. I mean, they could see that I had knowledge in the field and so when the opportunity came up they didn't hesitate to just pull me in to do something that i wanted to do yeah yeah that's one thing i didn't know when i started doing the podcast and i just learned this canadian experience i'm like what is that i'm like oh well they won't hire you because you don't have a canadian experience even though you're like you're a killer back home it doesn't matter like wow that's crazy but how did that affect your confidence, knowing that, hey, I, I'm a Ferrari. You're making me drive like a Honda. My confidence did take a big hit. Uh, for, for a very long time, I would say I was in a slump because after trying, applying, and you get many rejections, you just begin to doubt yourself. Uh-huh. And then you wonder, am I not good enough? I can't tell you how... Many times I tailored my resume just to suit the job. In fact, some roles I would apply to, I was keeping track, but even some of them, I forgot that I applied to them. <laughs> it was not like, that. Uh, which one is this again? I know. And sometimes you don't even get the call back. That was the frustrating bit. And then you begin to wonder, what exactly am I doing? Which is why I feel it's very important for everyone. When you're throwing out your resume, just don't throw them out into the deep. Connect with people as well. It's it's really critical to your journey or your progress or the process to getting a real job, something mm-hmm. you're actually interested in that you would want to build your career in. You can't do it in isolation for sure. So mm. rather than just using that tactic or, you know, I'll just submit a resume. No, speak to people. They would be, even if they can't give you the job today or tomorrow, I tell you somehow it will happen, but just don't do it alone. Uh, That's what I'm going to say. Yeah, that makes so much sense. You're saying like, speak to people. What do you mean? Like when you're in the interview or like you go online to talk to people, how did you do it? Like physically did it? Online, uh, find, try to identify people, top people who are in your field. They may not be immigrants. They may be immigrants, but you know that they've been working for a number of years. So you can tell for sure that they are experts in that field. Mm-hmm. Try to identify those 
and network with them. Send them emails, send them uh, messages on LinkedIn. That's the best way to find people, professional people. And join associations as well. I did join International Association of Business Communicators because I know it's more targeted people in my space. I joined that association. I volunteered my time for a number of things. You can do that as well. They notice you, you know, and once they begin to notice you, they see the things you can do and they can recommend you. So you need to be able to show or tell them that, yes, this is what I can do. And for them to see it. I know as Nigerians, we also try to play in the background so people don't notice us. But in this case, you have to be the one to toot your own heart. Mm. They won't come pull you out to say, okay, I can see on your forehead that <laughs> you're, you're this good at this skill. You need to be able to toot your own horn and then for you volunteer your time. It won't take anything out of you, probably just your time, a few hours. Yeah, you really have to sell yourself or else nothing's going to... You can't be like sitting in the corner and hoping that someone's going to pluck you and say, oh, by the way, you, I think you're going to be good in marketing. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to be confident to say, hey, give me the ball. I'm going to make that shot. Yes. Or else nothing will happen. I agree. During those hard times, was there a moment that you went to the hobby and say, yo, I think we need to go back home. Nothing's happening here. Did I? I was not exactly wanting to move back home, but I would say I was tempted to find out from my previous organization if they were looking to hire me from overseas, you know, if I could work remotely from Canada and still continue in my previous role. But I knew it was just going to, I also knew that it was going to be for a short period. Because I've heard stories of other people who, how long it took them to transition into their professional jobs. And I had hope. A lot of Nigerians, we are hopeful people, you know, we have faith. And we always want to just wait it out. Even though it's tough during the waiting period, we try to see like the end goal. And so during that time, I would say, that was even when I started this Afro Edmontonian page, just because I needed to channel my creativity and energy into something that I enjoyed doing. I was given my 100% to my 9 to 5, but I also wanted to really do something I was passionate about. So journaling, writing came easily and naturally to me. So I decided to do that on the side. And so it made the entire period easier for me. I could cope with all the difficulties that came with not being able to get a professional job the way I wanted it because I was doing other things that was giving me that happiness. So it sort of balanced out for me. Mm. How do you think immigration changed you? <sighs> Coming to this part of the world... I would say immigration has changed me in the way I see things. I am am generally uh, a quiet person. I don't, I have empathy for people, but I would say now I have developed even more empathy for people. I am more conscious of how I behave around people. Before coming to Canada, we, I could spray perfume all over me without caring what the other person, you know, how the other person was going to react to it. But then coming here, the first place that I walked, they had notices around the uh, uh, smell-free zones, things like that. Well, because some people uh, are allergic or they react to strong smell. And so before I make any decision here, I have to think of the next person now. I'm more conscious of every decision or every step that I take. So if I do this, how is it going to impact the fellow person? So I would say that has made me, changed me in a way. And being an immigrant has also made me aware of a lot of other cultures. Edmonton is a multicultural city. And for someone who goes out a lot every other weekend, I see things happening. I see uh, festivals. I come across different cultures. It just gives me a new respect 
for people generally. I'm able to learn uh, how they do certain things. I'm able to, I show interest in their food. I show interest in how they generally do everything. So it's a beautiful place and you just learn to appreciate everyone you come across. Yeah. I think those are the big key things that that have shaped uh, me since becoming an immigrant. Mm-hmm. When did you have the babies? In Canada? I had my second in Canada, yes. Oh, the first one in Nigeria? Yes, And that's then correct. you guys move it, okay. And then, so one's a Nigerian baby, one's a Canadian baby. But we are all Canadians now. Of course, yes, definitely. Being a Nigerian mom that lives in Canada and now raising these Canadian kids, how is that experience? If you ask any Nigerian mom, well, when well Nigerian moms who had their kids in Canada, how they cook, you will tell you, I don't know, I don't know, because it was it was nothing short of a miracle. In Nigeria, you would have, I mean, when I had my first, I had my mom's sister because my mom passed away before I had oh. my first. Sorry to I hear had that. my mom's. Thank you. I had my mom's sister stay with me for a couple of months, like three months, just to get by, to help me with things around the house. I had a house help as well, who would come to not a living house help, but someone that would come every day mm-hmm. to help. But here in Canada, you're alone, mm-hmm. like on your own. So you have to go to the hospital, you do the runs yourself, you do all the checks sit at home, care for the baby. But the beautiful thing about the maternity leave here is that it's a year, so it's stretched out. While back home in Nigeria, you would be lucky to get six months. I'm not sure if some people have introduced six months maternity leave, but for where I worked before, it was three months. So you would go back to work after three months and have your child or your baby in a daycare. But here, you had that entire year to rest and to do things. But it still was not easy because it was just me doing everything. And the fact that I had an older son as well. I had to manage him uh, with the daycare, with the baby, not sleeping well, (laughs) going for hospital checks and everything, doing the house chores. I don't know how I survived, but I did. Mm, Congratulations. Of course you're going to survive. You're Nigerian. I am. I'm tough, right? You know, this I've noticed. A lot of immigrant parents, they have issues sending their kids to daycares. Did you have that feeling as well? I cried the first time my son went to daycare. I would say (laughs) that for sure. Uh, It was not difficult to send him. It was just the fact that we're going to be separated for long period of, you know, at least the most part of the day. My son, when I was uh, back home, because I had my older son in Nigeria when I was back home and I had to go back to work after three months, he was already mm-hmm. used to other people. I had their house help as well who was helping to care for him. He was used to other people. In my office, they had like this um, daycare set up in the office. Oh, nice. So you could bring your child to the office and then put him in the center so they would watch over them. I mean, because it was close to the office, or rather, it was still in the office building. I could sneak, uh, sneak peek at him during lunch breaks. It wasn't far, so it was easy. But it was a different ball game in Canada because you had to just look for a daycare far from, well, not exactly far from the house, but still some walking distance. And so uh, the first day I took him there, I worried about how he was going to well, integrates with all the other kids, uh-huh. uh, being in the midst of other people for the first time. Yeah. Uh, being just in a new environment generally, I wasn't sure how I was going to do. But, I mean, it's just a worry of every parent. Yeah, 100%. Before long, he was fine. Um, he didn't evolve. So, in fact, I think the first week that we went to pick him, just one day like that, you know, usually when they see their parents, just one, mommy, 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 my son was still playing with the toys when, Mommy, yeah, hello, don't you see me? <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so you know how I'm sure Niger- Nigerians are very close to family-oriented, right? 
Yes. Was there a feeling of guilt of somehow like, I should not leave this, my son with strangers. I should take care of my son. Obviously, you're working. You can't do that. Did you have that guilt or you just like, you know, this needs to get done? No, I didn't have that guilt uh, because I knew at some point he would have to go to daycare. Uh. There is no way there is, no matter how long I decide to stay at home, he still has to go to daycare at some point. But I did like the fact that, at least for my younger son, I did like the fact that I could keep him with me for a year at home before sending him off to be taken care of by strangers. In Nigeria, like like I said, after three months, you're going back to work. <laughs> so you introduce them early to, to people. For someone like me who didn't have the luxury of parents who could live with me in the house and watch over my kid, I had to take them to a paid establishment where some other people watched them. So he was mm. used to people. Okay. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. Are there any specific Nigerian values that you want your kids to learn and keep? Respect for one is big. It's big back home. It's really, especially for someone like me who is Yoruba, we, we respect our elders a lot. And you would hear us use certain titles to address people. But here, that's not the case. Not necessarily having my kids refer to people by those same titles, but at least I call them that respect that they deserve as people who are elder in the community. So I want them to be able to know that. I also don't want them to forget what our culture looks like. I would say the food as well. I want them to be able to love our food. Uh, I know in Canada, I eat a lot of other people's food, other cultures, I eat their food, but I also want to retain what I have enjoyed back home. And I want my kids to be able to love it as well. So they have that many options. And another thing is I don't want, I just don't want them to forget their heritage, you know? So they do celebrate cultural days in school. And I try to also use that opportunity and other opportunities to teach them about Nigeria, about Yoruba people, and what we love doing about our attire as well. Some of their clothing, yeah, African fabrics. I buy them that. And mm. so it's it's just a good way to keep the tradition going. Mm-hmm. And certain things that we would normally celebrate back home as well. We try to celebrate them here as well. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah, I love those dresses that the women wear and then they put their thing on the head. Get, it's so yeah. colorful. Very. It's so beautiful. Just talking about kids, what's your biggest worry raising Canadian kids? I have to take a deep breath. <laughs> take your time. I have my worries. I'm not going to lie to you. I do have my worries. Back home, it was easier to be raised and nurtured by not just my parents, but by the community as well. Uh-huh. We had that connection with everyone that lived next to us. And so people could correct you easily without the kids taking offense or without your parents even taking offense. Mm. But here, the correction is different. We have a firm way of correcting our children back in Nigeria. But the fear here is when you're too firm with them, well, (laughs) they don't understand it. They see it as you being mean or not respecting them or their personalities and all that. So you're trying to achieve that balance where you're being a firm and a loving parent, not trying to push them away, but trying to draw them in. So one of my worries would be for them not seeing me as their friend. I want to become my children's friend, like as much as I'm their mom. I also want to be friends with them so they can tell me everything. And this digital age, they are exposed to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You can't even control. Even if I have censorship on on their apps, on their tablets, and things like that, they go out. I mean, these are kids that go to school. They go uh-huh. to daycare. 
they mm-hmm. hear different things, they see different things. And so that may be difficult to control, but that's why I want to be able to ask them when they come back from school, I want to ask them how their day went, even without me probing. I want them to get to that point where they feel really free to talk to me about everything. Um. So, uh, well, that's one fair about the information that they absorb. And I'm hoping that they can make decisions by themselves to do the right things. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure you're teaching them the right values and the proper decision making. That's all you can do. You know, yes, I have two kids too. The same thing, you know, like I hope before they go out, they say, yo, I aim, I gave you these tools. You can use them anytime you want. Of course, I cannot stop you. If you want to go smoke cigarette, I'm not going to be there. No one's going to stop you. Yes. But uh-huh. hopefully with these tools that I gave you and the stories I told you about my stupidity when I was young, <laughs> I hope you I learn. Uh, my eldest is going to one one more year to high, to high school, one more yeah. year, and then my youngest just graduated elementary. Congratulations! Thank you. Ah, uh, they are. Sometimes I just want to knock them in the head. You know what I'm saying? I wish I can. You can't. Unfortunately, you know, I tell them stories from back home. You know, like you know, you know what I'm saying? You do something stupid, bang. Bang, you know, and I tell them like we got hit with whatever you think of, whatever you think. (laughs) As long as the hand could reach it. Mm -hmm. And there's no (laughs) running, by the way. You know, there's no running because if you run, might as well kill yourself because it'll be worse. In fact, our our culture sounds very similar because when you said I just pictured my mom, (laughs) you know, she would knock on the doors and the windows. We it's suffered. time to go. Yeah. It's time to go. Oh my god. And now, you know, that's one thing I made sure I don't want to hit my kids. Like I never yes. I never see the point, you know, especially how can you hit someone that loves you so much and then they'll give you that look like like dad, what why why are you doing this to me? Like I thought you loved me. Mm-hmm. You know? And this is not a knock on my mom or my parents or your parents. They didn't know better. You know? I'm sure eventually that got better, but you know, at yes. that time, like yes. with my kids, when they talk to my mom and my dad, sometimes they'll talk to them like, yo, you're talking to a dragon. You don't know. That's a, that a dragon. You know, and, you should be scared. I believe for most of the Nigerian families, uh, it's usually the first and second that get heat the most so the parents tend to just relax after mm. the second child and so like our last one i'm not sure they ever raised their voice or <laughs> their hands just to hit nah never never so they the never first like... bonds oh no they get everything i think <laughs> i think you're right my dad my brother got everything i got things too but i think he got it more you yes. know and I, th- I, I think there are times that looking back now, sometimes at the moment, like, why did you not run? And then I realized, oh, I think he's taking the hit from me. You know, mm-hmm. I think I should thank you, thank him for that. <laughs> there, you mentioned earlier about Afro Edmonton. When and why did you start this Instagram account? I would say that. It started during my maternity leave, and I've always had this joyous appetite for adventures. Mm. When we first landed, we would find small events to go to, and I started to journal my experience just for my followers on Instagram. But then I realized that my audience, well, I have the wrong audience to start with because everyone on that page was living in Nigeria, almost 98% of everyone on that page was living in Nigeria. And so there was no appreciation for those specific places or those events that I was going to. And so it was no surprise when I just had that, you know, light bulb moment to create Afro-Edmontonian 
as a separate page, separate from my personal Instagram account. And in fact, it was July 1st, 2020, when I created Afro Edmontonian. Wow, three years. Congratulations. Thank you. And I started the page from scratch, like I grew organically. And when I started to share my own experience, even though I started with wanting to journal my experience, the page became like a roadmap to every other immigrant, not just immigrants, but residents in Edmonton, just to show them these are things or places they, they can go to. And so I would say that while my passion for adventures or was what started the page, it's still what drives the page as I share content about places to go to, things for people to do. And now it's more of like an inspiration for everyone who is trying to live full life in Canada. So for every immigrant who's here and then they want to really immerse themselves in life here. Because we are here today, we might as well enjoy every moment. And part of enjoying every moment is to be involved. I go to events, I go to places, and sometimes I'm the only black person. Of course, I'm obviously black, and I'm the only black person. I don't like it. Why? I want, well, I don't want to be the only one having fun. Hmm. I want to have more people from the black community, from the immigrant community, going out to soak up the sun, have some, have some sort of fun as well. And it doesn't have to happen every day. You know, uh, maybe I should also mention that for for a lot of immigrant community or individuals, especially Nigerians, because I know them all, we, we are used to hustling. And so we come from the hustling city, Lagos, or whatever it is everyone, anyone else lived. We come here to make a life. And as much as we want to recoup everything we had spent on immigration, it also makes sense to be able to enjoy life as well. It's a form of integration. Uh And so rather than continuing in that isolation uh, where we don't have a lot of family members here, Afro Edmontonian aims to help to reduce that social isolation for people. So I give them tips uh, and recommendations on places to go to and they can find themselves in those places. And one thing that I'm personally like proud of uh, is the fact that people now rely on me. They see me like an authority on things to do in Edmonton. So hmm. I have consultations sometimes with people. They just ask me, uh, this is what I want to do. I'm coming to Edmonton. I just moved to Edmonton. Uh, what can I do? Because they really want to live that rich life as well and be able to grow. Aside from growing in your career, it's also important that you're emotionally, socially, you're building up yourself. And if you come to Canada or Edmonton, you didn't come with all of your family members, you know how depressing it can be for that person to be alone. So a good way to build that bubbliness from inside or from outside is to just expose yourself to things happening and then this can help to elevate your mood especially during winter you know how the the weather changes here and then you have shorter days during winter and you're cooped up inside for a very long period these are some of the things that you can do moving around and getting involved meeting people interacting socially with people they can help lift your spirits which is what I'm trying to achieve on my page. You're, you're doing great. I, I love your page. Thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm not from Edmonton, and yes, if I ever go, I'll be like, yo, Lola, where am I going to go? Where's the good stuff? Yes, I am that connector to family-friendly events. People hmm. can always reach out to me. I'm happy to help. Awesome. Have you ever received any hate messages? Not on Instagram. I think people are nicer on Instagram. There was one time I tried to create like a Facebook page and I promoted this event, which was black events. And then I received some hate messages like, so what? You know, <laughs> that, that, really, that really discouraged me from continuing. 
uh, because I just didn't want to handle the attack. But people are generally nicer on Instagram. In fact, I've had people, instead of me pitching brands to work with, people, well, they've noticed what I'm doing. They see it as being important to the community. And so they reach out to me uh, just to partner with them so I can spread the gospel about their brands and try to get try to get the immigrant community involved. So, so people are generally nicer on Instagram and it's easier to, to just... And of course, when anything is negative, I, I do control. I censor whatever it is that is on my page uh, just so people are not discouraged in any way or in any form. But I haven't really had to do a lot of those because people are just civil. And most of my followers, they are from the immigrant community. We know ourselves. We would not want to tarnish our own images, you know. They are, they are helpful to building my brand. And so they are always supportive, perceiving their words and engagements as well. Yeah, 100%. I, you mentioned and I saw that you partnered with, with some businesses and some events. How does that work, if you don't mind me asking? Well, when I first started, I had to reach out to pitch some brands. And I got some positives. I got turned down by some because I don't have that follower account. And so that's one thing that people identify or pick on to say they can't support. But for this year, most of the businesses, they reached out to me because I can say that in Edmonton, I am probably one of the few or maybe even only content creator in this niche. So we have some black content creators who do food blogging, who do fashion blogging. But when it comes to actual family-friendly events uh, where people can go to, I look like the only black person involved in that space. And so from word of mouth, they've heard about what I do. Um, maybe they've come across my posts as well. They've interacted with my posts. And so they feel I am an integral part of the community and so they reach out to me uh just to come on board mm. to work with them so that's pretty much how that happens mm -hmm. and what do you think that makes you successful as a content creator uh i would say it starts from my own internal belief because i see that there is a purpose for the work i do for the community i mean it's a part of building inclusion. Like I said, sometimes I would go out, I would be the only black person, but I have started to see that we have more people, more black people, more immigrants going out to these places, this event and being involved. So, so it's as much as uh, we come here as Canadians, we don't want to remain indoors. We want to be out there as well. We want to be seen. And so that's how I would say this has progressed. And because of some of the work that I do as well, I I know <laughs> I don't want to say that it's solely because of the content that I push out there. It, it is also some people are deliberate about how they want to spend their time. And so they go out to look for information. But I'm just happy that I'm a resource that they can, you know, uh, just reach out to when they know they need anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it when you're saying that you go to an event and that you're the only black person, you know. I do have that feeling too. And the funny thing is, only people of color has that feeling. <laughs> okay, when that happens, when you're the only person there, that person of color, do you feel that you need to confirm to them or you still, nope, Lola's going to be Lola, 100%. I'm always myself as long as I respect other people's culture. So if it's a religious event, I'm not going to do anything, well, anything crazy. I'm still going to respect every everybody there. But I always maintain myself. I wear whatever it is I want to wear that makes me comfortable. I eat whatever I want to eat that I enjoy and just mingle. I mean, I don't approach. I'm just there. Even though I'm noticeable, I'm also lost in the crowd just to have some good time. Uh, so, yes, I always do what I want to do as long as I'm not breaking rules. You know, 100%.
are the likes and the views addictive for you? <sighs> I won't say they are not. I won't also say they are. I sometimes try to measure the amount of time I put into creating these things and that I wonder if it's adding value. And so then it's at that point I become concerned about the likes and then comments. But lately I've realized that even if it's just one person that I am able to influence to take decision to have a more balanced life, that I'm happy with that. And I can tell you, Aaron, I get a lot of DMs from people. I get tagged on a number of posts and then they say, oh, I got this information from Afro-Edmontonia and this. It makes me happy. And so I just discount whatever number of likes I get on the post. I don't care any longer. I want to be able to grow my followers to a certain number just because some brands will still not give you that opportunity because for them, they are looking at the number without looking at the bigger picture to see that I am important in this community and I can help their brands to be seen by this community. So in that way, they are short-sighted. And I do want to meet them halfway because I also don't want to uh, ask for favors to say, even though it's a unique selling point for me, uh, being the only black person in this niche, I also want to be able to meet their standards because some of them, it's it's part of their policy that you need to have like a certain number, say 6,000 followers before they can offer you anything. So I want to be able to get to that level as well. So, you know, there is nothing to say, yes, I'm taking advantage of, I don't know, just because I'm being black or something, I'm trying to leverage that. I want to be able to meet every criteria and then we can work from there. Yeah. So likes not exactly uh it's growing I've, i started this page in 2020 and i have like 2900 followers in the actual sense of it, it might not look like a big number but it's something i'm proud of because i started from zero yeah 2900 people you know yes. that's something else man what is the thing you're proudest of so far I'm proud of how I have also evolved and how I have grown. My first reel was was an eyesore. <laughs> I don't even want to look at it myself. Hey, you got to start somewhere. Yes, I started somewhere and I wasn't even waiting to have everything in place. That's one thing I'm proud of. I have built my skills in editing videos. Uh writing copies, finding what people would love to hear and just connecting with them. My content is relatable in a way. And I also want to continue to deliver value to people. And that's why every week I do this um, events guide. I post this weekly events guide or weekend events guide so people can decide. A number of things happen in Edmonton every week and I can't share it all but at least I pick like six or seven of them and I know that's more than a handful for anyone to get to no one can go to all so it's a good number for them to choose, to choose from so personally I want to be able to continue to deliver that value to them I I listen to my community I know the places that they want to go to they like family friendly events because you are family oriented and so I focus a lot on those type of events and restaurants as well, where I make recommendations that they can go eat. And for people who want date nights as well, that's also some information that you can find on the page. Mm -hmm. Do you think you're successful? A hundred percent, yes. Mm -hmm. And right now, Afro-Edmontonian Afro is not just about me. It's bigger than me. And I'm hopeful that maybe further down the line, I won't be the only Afro-Edmontonian running the page. I would have other people come on board, which is why I'm also happy about that name. It's not gender specific. If Yeah, it's race specific, but it's not gender specific. Anybody can come on board to work with me to be able to push 
and perpetuate the Afro-Edmontonian brand to the larger community. And um, I also say that it's been successful because it's meeting the objectives. I set out this page to help people uh, find information, to help immigrants find information, to help them plan their weekends or even if it's a week, to help them take inspiration from my page on how they want to, you know, integrate into the community and live their lives. And I would say I've achieved that on the number of occasions, going from uh, feedback that I have received from people, going from how people just generally, they would see me on the streets. I don't know everyone that follows me. <laughs> but that, I mean, the event that I went to yesterday, I had... I can't even count. I had a number of people come. Oh, you're African Antonio. I'm like, yes. Uh, that's hell. cool. Did they ask for a picture? Uh, oh well, not not really. I mean, <laughs> it's it's fine as long as you just they just came to say hello. Like, that's thank nice. you for all the information you share. It made me happy. So mm. people are reading and they are taking notes of those things just to help them form their own decisions. And yeah, that's that's success for me. That's beautiful. I think we're getting there. Yes. But absolutely. I have a few questions, a couple of questions. Having to move and allowing yourself to look back, do you think the Lola in Nigeria is the real Lola or did Canada allow you to free up that real Lola? That's a really good question. I'm still me. Uh, to a large extent, I've always been a creative. I've always loved the outdoors. <laughs> and um, even back home, I used to go for a lot of events, not in lots, but I used to go for events that involved theater. So I would go for stage plays to watch stage plays. I would go just to see art collections. I couldn't afford them, but I could admire them. <laughs> And I used to explore a bit. And because I also worked in marketing, my job entailed a bit of traveling, going to schools to do activations, brand activations, and being in the midst of students, just trying to push our products out to them. And then coming to Canada, it took another dimension in the sense that I have a much bigger platform uh, to do these things. I could go anywhere, well, if I have the money. But it's a beautiful thing that even within my backyard here in Edmonton, I can go to a number of places. They have the museum, they have the art gallery, they have bands very close to home that we can drive to and hmm. just explore. So I would say I'm still the same creative uh, person who loves to write, who loves to express the things that I see and enjoy in words. But I do it more now, not because I have more time, uh, but just because I've also found a purpose in not enjoying these things alone, but sharing with other people. Back home, it was just me. I just, it was me and my husband. We go out, we enjoy ourselves, and that's it. But here, I feel that there is a gap. So I want to be able to fill that gap so other people can also see what is available to them to be able to explore as well. So, yeah, it suit me, but just improved me. Mm. Another version. I love it. I love it. Let's close up with this one. For people that are struggling to immerse themselves into their community, immigrants or not immigrants, what advice would you give them? My first advice would be to let yourself go. I know that we are so attached to some of our ways of living from wherever it is they've come from. But you're in a different community, try to explore. So don't hold yourself back from exploring. That's the first thing. And go out there, mix with people, even if you want to start small. Like I was telling, I have, I belong to a couple of groups, like WhatsApp groups. And I was sharing how my neighbors and I, I have, um, Nigerian neighbors flanking me on the left, maybe about four of them. These are people that I didn't know from back home, but we met here. But what we started to do is we organized like this 
Friday night movies. And now that it's summer, imagine just sitting in the backyard, having a huge screen and everyone coming to sit down to watch. That's a way to begin. So I'm saying that even if you do not want to dive into the bigger outdoors, start from where you live. Try to interact with people and build out from there. And explore as much as you can um, other people's food. We love our food a lot. We do love our food. <laughs> it does not go by that we do not eat rice or maybe a week. But it's also good to learn other people's, um, to learn to eat their dishes and just get used to trying new things. So that's one advice that I would say. And it's good to build a friendship. Uh, outside of the community as well. It's good to build network as well. Uh, reach out to people. I'm sure we have some of those that have kids who go to um, their schools or daycares. When you get invited for birthday parties, it's a good way to build rapport with families of those other kids. It's just generally try to understand what your kids are doing in school as well and outside of school things will be smoother from, from there. Yeah, wise word from a wise woman. Again, Lola, mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a good time. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you again, Lola, for coming on the podcast. I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Erin Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.